Solomon makes it very clear that wisdom is not just for the elite and the learned and for people of noble birth. He says, wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. According to Solomon, the simple-minded are not merely handicapped and unfortunate. No, he is being bold in his proclamation. He is saying that anyone may be wise. The simple-minded are stupid people. The fool has made a decision to reject wisdom and personal responsibility for his or her life. The gospel message declares that through Christ we may be wise if only we will take responsibility for our life. Wisdom is crying out for us. It is God himself. All we have to do is cry out to God for wisdom. I love getting feedback. I love it when people tell me uh, that they've been helped and that really... uh, as you can imagine, is a, a, great, a great boost. I just got a, a text last night from somebody in our church who said, your last sermon has remained in my mind how I had partnered with fools in my previous marriage and also in business. I nearly destroyed myself financially. I am so thankful for God's restoration when I turned away from the fools and looked to him. We need the wisdom of God. Would you agree with that? We... We need the wisdom of God. We cannot survive without it. Uh, The problem is, and you think, we've got the wisdom of God. It's there for us. We, We can lay hold of it. We can own it. It can be ours. And yet so many people reject it. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Now, in ancient times, as everybody knows, I I won't insult your intelligence, but... um, but here goes. <laughs> no. Uh, in ancient times, as you know, there were no TVs, no newspapers, no radios, no internet, no public address systems. There were no telephones. There was no, there was no real way to communicate to the masses when a message needed to be communicated to the masses. And so what happened, and this goes back to very ancient times, there are people who were appointed as heralds. They, they had the job of communicating the proclamation of the king or else gathering information and bringing it to the king. We, we sometimes call them town criers. And if you are familiar with Britain, you know that they, that they still are, are using people called town criers. It's to keep up the tradition. They don't really need to do it, but it's to keep up the ancient traditions that go back a couple hundred years. The town crier... Was, was a familiar person uh, used in Old Testament times and New Testament times. Uh, sometimes a prophet of God would be called a, a crier. He's going out in the name of God, proclaiming a message to God's people. Well, during the, during the Trojan War, Stentor, meaning loud voice, this is his name, he was a herald 
or a messenger of the Greek forces, and he was said to have a voice of 50 men. That's a big voice. And apparently he died during, a, a, I guess you could call it a screaming match with Hermes. That's, that's one of the mysteries. But a, a, a massive voice, and his job was to go out to proclaim what was going on, what, what was the will of the king, and what was happening in battle, and that sort of thing. Well, you may recognize this fellow. This is a, a, a Greek by the name of Philippides, and he was, uh, was the man that ran the marathon. Some of you are familiar with the marathon. Some of you have actually run the marathon. A marathon is uh, 26.2 miles or 42 kilometers, thereabouts. Well, during the, the raid on Greece by Persia in 490 BC, the, the Persians expected they would have a handy victory over the Greeks. And it's really quite interesting to study the, the, the battles between Greeks and their enemies. Uh, at this particular battle, the, the Persians invaded at a little town called Marathon. I've been there. Gloria and I have been there. Uh, and I'll tell you, we did not run from Marathon to Athens. We went by car. <laughs> and uh, at Marathon, the Greeks actually prevailed. They beat the mighty Persians. And, and so what was happening now is that the battle was coming to, to an end. But this, this Greek... Philippides, he saw one of the Persian ships turn, its, turn the bow of the ship, turned it around, and started heading towards Athens. Now, immediately, he recognized that what was going to happen is that these Persians were going to get to Athens and proclaim false news, proclaim a false victory, and thereby discourage the Athenians and make the Athenians believe that they had actually lost the battle against the Persians. And so what this, what this brave man did is he actually shed his armor. Some say he shed his clothes, and he made a beeline for Athens, 26.2 miles. And the story goes that he ran, and he got to Athens, and he reported that, in fact, Greece was victorious over the Persians, and whatever the Persians may say, don't believe it, because we have won. Nanakinoman, we have won the battle. Now, it says that when he got there, when he, when he gave the news, when he heralded the proclamation of, of victory, the man dropped dead right on the spot. Now, I want to read to you what Solomon says here, we're looking at Proverbs chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn them, turn to them, please. And we're looking at verses 20 to 23. And Solomon says, Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long will you simpletons uh, insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. Doubtless, Solomon has in mind the town crier, the herald, the one who does the proclaiming. But in this case, the town crier is a female, and the female town crier, her name is Wisdom. 
She is crying out. And so look at this first two verses of Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city, she speaks. The question is this. Is anybody listening? Wisdom is crying out. Is looking for your attention. Wisdom wants you to hear what she has to say. And that really is what the whole book of Proverbs is about. Wisdom says, come and read and learn and discover. Come and be fed on the word, on this Proverbs, on this truth. Wisdom is pleading with her listeners, desperate to communicate what? Truth. Now, we live in a world that is constantly trying to get our attention and trying to share its truth with us. But we as Christians, we understand that Jesus is, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. As Christians, by definition of who we are, we reject the wisdom of this world and we look to Christ for wisdom. And the Bible says that when we have his wisdom, when we know his wisdom, we will be set free. Now this morning, if your heart, your mind is is tied up in knots over what's happening in our culture and our society, Please understand something. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes. This is another book of wisdom. There's nothing new under the sun. But here's the question. Will you listen to the voice of wisdom, and will you, in fact, be prepared to do what the Word of God tells you to do? Why is wisdom pleading? Why all the fuss? Because wisdom understands that This is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of spiritual life and death. If you don't have the wisdom of God, if you don't have the truth that comes through Christ and from Christ, then we we are dead, aren't we? We are dead in our trespasses. We have no hope. So let's take a look then at at the first verse, or the next verse after this, verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? Ouch. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? How long? Now, you you look at that and you think, well, hold on a minute here. Nobody loves being simple. Nobody delights in, in acting like a fool who hates knowledge. But what wisdom is pointing out to us, as long as you are not listening to her, as long as you are not embracing wisdom, as long as you are embracing the ideas, the philosophies, the wisdom of this world, then in fact, you really do love being simple. And the question then is, what do you love? Because if you're not reading faithfully in the Word of God, if you're not looking to God for wisdom, and when we talk about wisdom, by the way, remember, we're talking about the wisdom of God. We're not talking about a generic form of wisdom that could include anything. 
We're talking about a wisdom that comes from God. Do you love the wisdom of God? Do you love the truth that sets you free? Then if you do, you will be a man or a woman who is faithful in studying and reading and praying through the word of God, asking God to open your eyes to see the truth. Now, Paul reminds us that the God of this world is blinding and has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing. These people who are dying because of their lack of knowledge are, are the fools. These are the ones that love being simple. Don't, don't give me any, any of your religion, pastor. Don't talk to me about your Jesus. I don't want to hear anything about it. What's going on? Well, they love being simple. They delight in their scoffing. That, by the way, is the new, the new comedy And every comedian that is out there is mocking the church, mocking Christ, mocking Christianity, mocking the word of God. Why? Because they love being simple. So what about you? Do you love being simple? Or do you love the truth? And by the way, Jesus is the truth. If you love Christ, then you are going to love to know what Jesus Christ has to say to you. Now, the, the power of wisdom, and this is why we, it's so critical that you and I lay hold of that. The power of wisdom is that it exposes the simple-mindedness of all humans. Now, some of you are sitting here today thinking, well, you know what, I maybe should have gone to a different church because I'm really quite wise. I don't really need to hear this. Well, I got news for you. The Bible declares that every one of us in this room is by nature a fool. Ouch, pastor. Every one of us. Solomon is actually describing here all humans. Remember what Solomon's father David said, and I can assure you that Solomon is very aware of the things that his father said, especially in the Psalms. Listen to this, Psalm 53, 1 to 3. Solomon Solomon here is reflecting what David says in Psalm 53, 1 to 3. Listen to this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And by the way, that is a major theme now in the public arena, in the public square. That is a, a major theme that is discussed by everybody. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt doing abominable iniquity, wicked, wicked sin. There is none who does good, says David. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand or who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. That is, my friends, the verdict that's been pronounced. Every one of us, we need to understand, is a fool that loves being simple. That is until we embrace Jesus Christ. This is why you need to be converted. This is why you need to do more than just be religious. There's a lot of religious people that go to church every Sunday who are not converted. To be converted means that you are going to bow your knee and bend your stiff, 
arrogant neck and say, Lord Jesus, it's me. It's me that needs forgiveness of sin. God, I need your wisdom. I need to be forgiven. Because the verdict has been pronounced. There's not one who does good, not even one. David says the same thing in, in, in uh, Psalm 14, doesn't he? Verses 1 to 3. And Paul actually quotes this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. Now, the beautiful thing about wisdom is that it causes us to open our eyes to see what we wouldn't see unless God came along. See, the fact of the matter is nobody can find God on his or her own. One of the things that that God has shown me over the past 30 years in the ministry, 30 years plus, is that nobody finds God. If If that were the case that we could find God, then we wouldn't need Jesus to come and look for us. And yet that's exactly what Jesus said, right? He's come to seek and to seek and to save what was lost. You and I are lost, dead in our trespasses, living as fools who, in fact, love being simple. And Jesus comes along, sent by the Father, to come and find us and to save us and to include us into his family. Because before that, my friends, We, every one of us, is stupid and morally bankrupt. We need a Savior. Now, I know some of you are sitting here this morning thinking, I did not expect to come to church and be told I was stupid or morally bankrupt. I know other churches I could go, and they would just be trying to to rally my spirits and make me feel good about myself. Look, I don't want to make you feel good about yourself. I want to tell you the truth. I don't know if anybody here has ever had surgery before, but I can tell you, when you go into the doctor's office and you got a problem, he's not going to say, oh, don't worry about that growth. You're still a wonderful person. Nobody can even see the growth. You're a beautiful person. You look great on the outside. Don't worry what's going on in the inside. You say, what kind of a quack are you? Well, folks, the same thing goes with the truth, with the word of God. You did not come to church to to, to have me tell you that you're wonderful. I'm here to tell you what the truth is and to tell you that, in fact, it's Jesus who is wonderful and not you. I think that's kind of, I think that sounds right, Pastor. I think think that makes sense. It does make sense. This is called the gospel, the good news. The good news that liberates you from your sin and gives you a brand new heart, a brand new mind. What do we want? We want the mind of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. He opens your eyes so that you can see the truth. How many remember the day that you were converted and your eyes were open and all of a sudden it all made sense and you just knew that you knew that you knew this is the truth? You know that moment. That was a supernatural moment. You did not find that on your own. But the spirit of the living God was active in you and on you, bringing you to repentance, regenerating you, bringing you to life. Wow. Augustine, some consider him the the greatest theologian of all time after the Apostle Paul from the 5th century. 
He was born into a Christian home, and he did not immediately... Actually, he, uh, when I say Christian, his mother was a Christian. His father did not become a Christian until he was on his deathbed. But Augustine decided that he was going to reject the faith and the wisdom of his mother and her faith. And he went looking in different directions, looking at different religions. But he says he remembers that when he was a child, he was out with some friends. And boy, this sounds so contemporary, like it had just happened yesterday. And he says he was out with some friends, and his friends, uh, I think they, they raided a garden. And they, has anybody ever done that? There's, yes, a few people will admit that. <laughs> yeah, we used to do that, sorry. Sorry to let you down, folks, your pastor. <laughs> but he said he, he did it, and the fact of the matter is, is that he loved the fact that he did it. He loved his sin. His very nature, he says, was flawed. This is what he says. It it was foul, and I loved it. I loved my own error. Not that for which I erred, but the error itself. He loved the sin itself. That's that's a fact, eh? We love being simple. We love being sinners. We love doing things that are, are contrary to the will of God. And it was from that incident that Augustine developed what we now call the doctrine of original sin, that each and every one of us is born with sin in us. And if if you've ever been a parent of little children, two years old, you can see it, the little sinners, the lovely, cute little sinners. No matter how you dress them up, no matter how nicely you do their hair, they're still little sinners in need of God's forgiveness. This is who we are. From this incident, this this theft, Augustine concluded that the human person is naturally inclined to sin and in need of the grace of Christ. Folks, you came to church today to hear the gospel. You did not come here today to hear a psychology lesson to make you feel better. Because ultimately, what's going to make you feel better is that you hear the word of truth, the word of the divine surgeon who digs in and cuts away that sin from your life. And it's painful, I'll admit that. Has anybody ever had the heavenly surgeon do surgery on you? I have got so many wounds and so many scars, but I'm going to tell you folks, it's what's given me life. Don't despise the work of God in your life. Don't despise the work of the good surgeon. He's not going to tell you what you want to hear. He's going to tell you what you need to hear so that you may be whole, that you may be saved. This is what wisdom is. Wisdom points us to Christ. Listen to what Paul says. He says, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives. This is Romans 13, 13 to 14. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. It was this passage of Scripture that Augustine read that was the clincher for him. He was resisting God, resisting God, saying, God, deliver me of this sin, but not yet. <laughs> I want to carry on. I want to do it a little bit longer. Isn't that, isn't that the attraction of sin? We know that our sin is causing us great sorrow and grief, and it's hurting our lives, it's hurting our marriage, it's hurting our kids, it's hurting us physically. You see, because we love being simple, and we love being fools. That's the human nature. And God finally got through to Augustine, and this is what the Spirit of God spoke into his ears. He said, I heard it like it was a child speaking, saying, take up and read, take up and read. And so he took up the Word of God, the Bible, and he read those very words. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. That was a turning point for him. He decided that he was no longer going to love being simple. He's no longer going to delight in scoffing. He's no longer going to delight in being a fool. But he was going to surrender to Jesus Christ. Now, some of you have been Christians for years, and you think, well, you know, this is... This, is, this word, pastor, is really for the weaker believers. It's for the young believers. It's for the people that, 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 that are just starting out as a Christian. No, my friends, this is for all of us. Here I am. I became a Christian when I was about eight years old, so it's been like oh, a little over 50 years that I've been a Christian, and I can tell you, 50 years later, I am still in the same place in need of the wisdom of God. I still need the spirit of the living God to apply truth to my heart. I still am learning. I'm still learning how to follow Jesus. And one of the, the things that just, just makes me so angry is when I hear TV preachers and radio preachers tell you that what God wants you to be is happy. That's not what Jesus wants. It's not what God wants. God wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Read Romans chapter 8. We, we love to quote that scripture. God works all things together for good for those, that, for those that love God and who are called according to his purpose. But you don't read verse 29, which says, the point of all the things that you go through, whether good or bad, is to conform you, to make you like Jesus. So here I am, 50 years later, been a pa pastor my whole life, and I'm still learning this. Now, this, what I'm sharing with you today is not for beginners. This is for people who've been walking with God their whole lives. How many would agree with me today that we've still got lots to learn? Would you say amen to that? Amen. See, that's, this is really what, what it's really all about, isn't it? How long will you scoffers delight in their scoffing? Listen, when you're, as long as you're scoffing and, and mocking, God mocking the pastor, mocking what the pastor preaches, the fact of the matter is, is that you're just proud and arrogant. It's not for me, it's for somebody else. I disagree with the pastor. I don't believe that what the pastor's saying. It doesn't apply to me, it applies to somebody else. 
or this is not really what I think. Like, I don't really care what anybody thinks. I really, what I care about is what does God think? What does God say in his word? And as long as you are one of those people who is, who is mocking and scoffing and saying, you know, I, the, the word of God, I mean, I, I have a different view of the word, pastor. Well, you better come and talk to me about it so that I can set you straight. And believe me, you would not believe how much it, how much this has increased in recent years where more and more and more and more people are saying, well, I disagree with that, and I disagree with that, and I don't agree with that. And my response is, well, after all your years of studying the Scripture, tell me, tell me what you believe and why. You see, what I'm sharing with you today is the ancient doctrines that have been passed down through the centuries. I'm not sharing anything new with you. What I'm sharing with you today is the ancient truth. If you hear pastors say, I've got something new to share, something never been shared before, run for your life. Run as fast as you can. One of the things my wife loves, oh, it makes her so happy and so excited. She hugs me and kisses me whenever I say this. And here's what I say. I'm preaching the ancient doctrine handed down through the centuries. Listen, folks, you don't need to hear something new. You don't need to hear the ideas and the philosophies of men. What you need to hear is the truth from the word of God. You need to hear the voice of God because that's the only truth that will set you free. Still, people will mock, they will make fun, they will blaspheme, but God calls us to come humbly to his throne, humbly learning, humbly open to what he has to say. Are you still learning? Or are you arrogant, too arrogant to learn? No one's going to tell me what to do. The scoffer, the mocker, oh, they delight and they're scoffing and they hate knowledge. No one's going to tell me what to do. You know what? I've had people leave our church even some people during this pandemic because they don't like the fact that I refuse to teach and preach the, the current ideas, the current philosophies of the day. I refuse to. When you come to church on Sunday, you are not going to hear the present, the, the current ideas or philosophies. You're going to hear only the gospel. You're going to hear only the word of God. And I don't make an apology for that. And I have to say, if, you know, if some point the church didn't like that anymore, well, they'd have to get a new pastor. But I can only preach the word of God. And again, I'm going to tell you something. The ideas of this world, the philosophies of our culture, of our society, they sound wise. The problem is, is that it does not include Jesus. When you exclude Christ... You've excluded the wisdom of God. You've excluded the truth, the truth that sets you free. Remember last week we talked about the, the very theme of the Proverbs. The very theme of the Proverbs is simple. 
the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of knowledge, the uh, beginning of wisdom and knowledge is the fear of God. Proverbs 1, 7. And again, we explain what the fear of God means. The fear of God very simply means that you understand you need to obey God, period. We go back to the Garden of Eden, and what's, what do we see? We see Adam and Eve refusing to obey God. Now, if they had feared God, they would have believed him and then obeyed him. But as it is, they didn't obey God. They didn't believe God. They didn't fear God. Now, listen. You and I, everyone in this room, we all get into trouble. We all begin to experience problems and sufferings and struggles in our lives when we refuse to fear God, when we refuse to obey him, when we, when we refuse to do what he says. Look at the, the best way I can explain this is when I was little, I feared my dad. Now, I wasn't afraid of him. I knew he loved me. I, he, I loved it when he gave me hugs, but I, I knew that I had to obey him. I had to do what he told me to do because I knew that he had the ability to, to punish me. He had the ability to put me in my place, to sort me out. Now, this is an idea that is absolutely hated today in the year 2021. We, we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God. And yet this is a common occurring theme in Scripture. We love to talk about the love of God, but we don't talk about the wrath of God. As Christians, when, when we surrender to Jesus Christ, when we say, Lord, take my life, accept me, what happens? We become part of the family of God, and we discover that he is a loving God, and that Jesus Christ is that what we call in theological terms, a propitiatory covering who protects us from the wrath of God so that we know the love of God. This is the gospel. This is the good news, that we can hide in Christ. Because when you and I become Christians, guess what happens? You and I are redeemed. We've been set free from our sin and we discover a perfection that is in Christ. Until you and I have the righteousness of Christ, we face the wrath of God. But thanks be to God, he has given us a savior. His name is Jesus. And because of Jesus Christ, we can hide in him and we are free of God's wrath. And we have life eternal. This is the good news, my friends. Uh, wisdom says, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I'll pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words, make my words known to you. What's wisdom saying? Wisdom is saying, repent. 
And you and I, you've heard this over and over again. When we talk about repenting, it's all about turning away. It's like it's turning direction. So whereas before you were going in your own direction, doing your own thing, following your own ideas, or as Solomon says, following your own stupidity, your own foolishness. How many of us understand and remember when we, before we were converted, we were following our own stupidity? How many know what I'm talking about? You were following your own foolishness. But when you turned to God, you changed direction, and you started following after God. Now, here's the good news. Is that God is not looking for a perfection in us. That is, he's not looking for us to become immediately perfect where we never sin again. I've heard pastors say that. Well, what a way to discourage people because every one of us knows in his, his or her own heart that we are not perfect. How many still sin? Just a f- few people. This is an amazing church. Of course we do. Satan is going to whisper in your ear and say, see, you're not perfect. You'll never make it. Just give it up. Don't be a Christian anymore. It doesn't work. Don't believe that lie. What matters to God is that you've changed direction. It's not perfection. It's direction. If you turn at my correction, if you turn to Jesus, if you turn to the word of God, if you come and hear the word of God, this is why you come to church every Sunday, to hear the word of God preached, to hear the gospel. It's not perfection, it's direction. You start walking towards God. And the beautiful thing is that God transforms you. Can I just say something to you this morning? The Christian life is a life of repentance. Every day, we are living a repentant life. Because everybody knows when you get up in the morning, you want to go in your direction. But God calls us to live a repentant life, which simply means to turn and walk towards God and do God's will. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to have the wisdom of God. Now, how important was it that that young Greek man, Pleiopithes, how important was it that he ran all the way to Athens with the good news that the Greeks had destroyed, annihilated the Persians? Well, many scholars believe that had this young man not run the marathon, from Marathon to Athens, that Greece would have been taken over by the Persians and would have become Persian. Immediately after that historic battle and that historic report from that young man, Greece went into what we call 200 years of classical Greek civilization. And if you know your history, you know that, that through the Greeks, we do, we do have the study of, of mathematics, of philosophy, of, of rational thinking, of logic. This has influenced the West for the past 2,000 years and more. It would be a very different world today, a very different part of the world. If the Greeks 
had not listened to that young man who had run with the message, it would have been a very different story. It was a matter of life and death. And what I'm saying to you today is a matter of life and death. Wisdom is crying out to you. Leave behind the ideas and the philosophies of your culture. Don't listen to it. And don't apologize for being a Christian. Rejoice! Your life is built on the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ. The man who built his house upon the sand, his house was demolished. But the man who built his house on the solid rock, he stood firm in the midst of life's storms. My friends, you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Only embrace the wisdom of God and reject the wisdom of this world. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians. Stop deceiving yourselves if you think you're wise by the world's standards. You need to become a fool to be truly wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. Father, we thank you today for Jesus Christ who came to us as a babe in a manger. That babe in a manger who would grow to be our Savior and our Lord. Oh, it looked like foolishness to the rulers and the principalities of this world. But for you, oh God, it was wisdom. And Jesus grew. And he became... the bearer, the herald of the truth, the truth that sets us free. Father, we have a world that is right now living in such hatred towards the church. The guns of this world are are on the church, on the word, on the Christian. And God, we are tempted to give in and tempted to change our ideas and change our, our, our theology and, and to, to, to be shaped by this world. God, we pray for Christ's sake, enable us, oh God, to embrace the wisdom of your word and to reject the ideas and the wisdom of this world. When the world says that we need to catch up, to catch up with the world, God, help us, to, help us to understand that the world loves being simple. The world rejects you because they're fools. Help us, we pray, oh God, to be wise and to pursue Christ with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we would give you the praise and the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Tell the person beside you, you're more than a conqueror through Christ.